Monsters. Madness. Hi, this is Edward Elric, the Full Metal Alchemist, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. Monsters, Madness, and Magic. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I am Justin, joined by my co-host, Mitch. And this evening, we have a very special guest, the Full Metal Alchemist, the legendary Super Saiyan himself, Mr. Vic Mignogna. How the, how the hell are you? You nailed it, Justin. <laughs> I've been working all day. I hope Who I did. He scores! <laughs> um, yes, I'm doing great. I had a, I had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day. Uh, a few days around Christmas, uh, it was really nice, and just got home actually last night late. So uh, doing good, and I'm back. Got home, and first thing I did was get back on my audiobook recording. Oh, I, uh, what, what book are you recording? Well, I'm working on this audiobook. This is the third audiobook I've done. Called, and this one's called um, "The Crimson Spark." Ooh, and it's really good, y'all. Ooh. It's really, really good. And there are 79 chapters, and Intrigued. I just today finish 75 okay almost almost so there. the end is near i'm gonna finish it before the new year uh awesome. and it'll be on amazon so shameless plug <laughs> hey, that's um, what we're here for i uh yeah i'm very very proud of the of the work the the author the author is very very pleased i've been sending him like 10 chapters at a time and uh and uh so i'm i've had a great time doing it and i think people will really enjoy it it's great story. who is Hello. the author the author's name is William Hastings. Gotcha. By the way, I'm so sorry. I just got out of the shower. I mean, look at me over here. To, yeah, I, do, I just got out of the shower <laughs> too, to man. I'm... my hair up like I normally do. <laughs> you know, the way I always get teased about. Yeah, it's all it's all good, man. So, this is all, this is all I got for you. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's plenty enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you always interested in the arts as a kid? Did you have oh, a yeah. eureka moment that you can point to where you decided no. to pursue acting? You know what? My eureka moment was probably Star Trek. Ah. When I was about nine years old, my parents divorced and uh, my dad was just gone. And uh, I remember coming home from school one day, lived in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I came home from school one day and I was sitting around on the floor looking for something to watch on television. And uh, my mom and I had just moved out and uh, she didn't, we didn't even have a table in the living room. The television a 19-inch black-and-white television was sitting on the floor. The floor model. In the living room. And I just laid down on the floor, and I was looking through the channels. And back then, there were only three. It was ABC, NBC, and CBS. And on NBC, the uh, local affiliate there in Pittsburgh, 5 o'clock, uh, this show came on, Star Trek. I didn't know what it was, but I fell in love with it instantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, quite honestly, I, I tell people that it was really my love for Star Trek that that actually got me doing a lot of things that I had never done mm -hmm. at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Like most kids that age, you know, haven't still still haven't stumbled upon things they're good at. Right. Something comes along, they'll watch a TV show and they'll try to draw the character from the show and they'll find out that they have a talent for drawing or they'll try to make a prop from a TV show or a video game, and they'll find that they have a real talent for doing that or writing writing their own story. Uh, could be anything. For me, 
I started watching Star Trek and I was like, oh, I want to make one of those things they flip open and talk into. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the hobby store and I bought like balsa wood and hinges at the hardware store and paint and glue and just tried to make a communicator. And then I tried to make a phaser. And then I, I begged my mom to make me uniforms on her sewing machine. <laughs> And then I would start building the models and I'd round the kids in the neighborhood up and try to make Star Trek episodes where I got to play, of course, a very scrawny 12-year-old Captain Kirk. And, you were invested. Uh, <laughs> yes. And then, <laughs> and then um, I went to school one day and they were having auditions for a school play. And I thought that would be fun. I mean, like I could do like what Captain Kirk is doing and Mr. Spock <laughs> and I could play this character and I could move people emotionally. Right. So uh, I auditioned for a school play and got in it. And then I started performing more in church and community theater and acting camps and classes. And so I've been doing it for a very long time. Well, how fitting then that, you know, Star Trek is what made you want to get into acting. You ended up playing Captain Kirk. I know. I, I, if, <laughs> if if you could go back to the past and tell, you know, Kid Vic that you really are going to be Captain Kirk one day, Dude, do you think he'd believe that it? That little kid would crap his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to be too graphic, but that little kid would be like, first of all, if I went back in time, if I pulled like a Marty McFly, you know, went back in time and found my 12-year-old self and said, you're not going to believe this, but one day you're going to build a perfect replica of the entire soundstage and you're going to get to play cap. You're going to wear a perfect uniform and you're going to be surrounded by your, your friends and you're going to get to play Captain Kirk. I'd be like, stranger danger! <laughs> get this crazy guy away from me. I would never have believed it in a million years. And that's crazy, um, you know. Everybody wants to grow up and be an astronaut or, you know, uh, something like that. But you want right. to grow up and be Captain Kirk and you actually grew up to be Captain Kirk. I know. It's uh, it's really quite quite an honor. Did it's, you get approached to do that? Or did they already know that you were kind of a fan of Star Trek? Well, no. Actually, um, the, the Star Trek series that I did, Star Trek Continues, was was my production. It was gotcha. not an official CBS production, and we weren't making any money with it. That was the only way we were allowed to do it. Right. Um, right. We were allowed to do it as long as you didn't. You're not allowed to make money from somebody else's property, obviously. Of course. So it was just a fan production. It really was a labor of love, then. Yes. It just happened to be a very, very high quality. Yeah, it looks great. I'm looking at the screenshots now, and you even have the, the old school filter, and you look just like it. Well, you should watch some of the episodes because, you know, while a picture is worth a thousand words, um, a moving picture is worth a million. And oh, yeah. if you watch an episode, the, 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 the look, the feel, the editing, the storytelling, the lighting, the props, the music, everything about our series was intended to make people feel like the original Star Trek was never canceled and that it went on to fulfill its five-year mission, which mm -hmm. it never got to do. Right. So we made 11 full-length episodes, and in effect, my goal was to finish the five-year mission and leave everybody where they were when Star Trek The Motion Picture began. And that is exactly what we did. And now, some 10 million viewers later, we... Uh, we're very, very proud. I'm so proud of, of everyone that was involved in Star Trek Continues. I'm definitely going to have to give that a watch. Let oh. me ask you, as a Star Trek fan, 
how do you feel about the Orville? If you've seen, I like it fine. I mean, I know that uh, what's his name? Braga, Brandon Braga. No, no, no. Uh, Orville is uh, what's the main guy? Oh, uh, McFarlane. Uh, Mike. Uh, um, Seth McFarlane. Seth McFarlane. Um, I know that Seth McFarlane is a big Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applaud the fact that he's, you know, kind of paying tribute in his own way to Star Trek. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I mean, have they, have they released any more? It's been a long time since they've released any, hasn't it? I don't think that they have one recently, but I know there's going to be a new season. Right. I, would, I, I like to ask because, uh, Brandon Braga is a writer on that show and he yes. wrote of like over 300 episodes of Star Trek. And I just like to get a gauge to Star Trek fans notice that, or if they, if they like the show. I did notice that. Um, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I understand that, that he wrote a lot of Star Trek. However, if I may be so direct. Hey, say what you want. <laughs> Orville is not Star Trek. Right. You can't write for Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy. If you don't have a Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy. So, Brand Brand Braga is a great writer, but you know, presumably he would be writing for those characters in that setting. Like Seth MacFarlane does a lot of he brings a lot of comedy to the Orville. There was humor in Star Trek, but it wasn't basically about funny gags and yeah. fart jokes or whatever. <laughs> so um because of that, I would say the Orville has a little bit different, you know, it has a little bit different style to it. But right. I applaud, I applaud Seth for, I wish I'd thought of it. I mean, I, yeah. I applaud him for coming up with something that would allow him to probably, quite probably, if I, if I'm, if I guess correctly, this was his way of fulfilling his childhood dream yeah. of playing Captain Kirk. Only he has the money and the, <laughs> and the influence and the success to be able to create his own series where he was the captain of the ship. Um, I envy him. But, he did not uh, play Captain Kirk, though. You have no. He plays yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> right. He yeah. he plays his own yeah. a captain of his ship. But the chance to create your own right. series where you're the captain of your own ship that is cool, and I applaud him. Sorry for the Star Trek uh, sidetrack there. Just gonna want well, to ask. There's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you set up a recording studio at home since the start of the pandemic? Well, I've had a recording studio studio in my home for about 25 years. Oh, well. <laughs> um, I've always had a studio in my home. I'm, I'm in it right now, actually. And uh, it's just become all the more valuable since right. the pandemic because I've been able to completely turnkey audiobook. You know, I don't need to rent a studio. I don't need to hire an engineer. I don't need right. to do anything. I can, I can turnkey from start to finish um, uh, any project, music voiceover audiobook sound wow. design whatever so do you see them as a necessity going forward for future voice actors now since all this business started and how things are going? um it certainly wouldn't hurt you mm. know it certainly doesn't hurt because even if you do, even if it's not for voice acting it would be really good to have something at home of audio quality that you can record studio quality for auditions or what if somebody wants to hire you to do some independent thing? You're, you're already and, good to go if you got exactly, one. Exactly. If you've got the tools in your home, you're you're ready to roll. Vic, I see that you've produced hundreds of uh, jingles for commercials. Do you? Are there any we might oh, yeah. recognize right now that you can just? Um, <laughs> you know what? I don't. Most of mine were in the in the Texas, Louisiana, gotcha. You know, uh, Oklahoma regional area. Um, most of the people that live down in that area are familiar with several. I could 
sing a few and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you wrote that? <laughs> um, yeah. So do you have a musical background? You know what? Um, I'd like to say yes. Um, again, it's, it's something that I just kind of stumbled upon. I, uh, my mom played the piano in church where I grew up. Uh, so I, and everyone in my, in my family played an instrument or sang. And so I started singing when I was very young. And then when I was about 16 or 17, I stumbled across, and I literally mean stumbled across, the fact that I could play the piano. I'd never taken any lessons, but I, I had listened to some songs so much that I, I sat down at a piano one day, and I just was able to play a song that I had, that I had been listening to. I could play it by ear. And then I, 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 that was how it started, but then it kind of developed from there. To the point where I could recognize chords and and uh, chord charts and, um, and sit down, I could listen to a song on the radio and sit down and play it, or go to an, a restaurant and be sitting in a restaurant and listen to the song on playing over the speakers and and chart it out in my brain. So when I got home, I could sit down and play it immediately because I'd already played it in my head a few times, you know. Um, and again, I I'm I'm always very careful to give God credit for those things because I didn't. I didn't do anything. Right. It just kind of happened. I didn't spend 20 years studying piano. I didn't get a college degree in music or any of these things. They're just uh, things that I, I had a passion for. And as I did the more, I discovered that I had a natural ability for it. Let me just go ahead and ask you, what are those uh, records behind you there? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the the little silver 45 rp is uh is signed by barry manilow Ooh. who i was a big fan of when i was 17 18 in fact he was the one that got me started interested in playing the piano and several years ago myself and my good friend dave arlen went to a concert of barry manilow's and we paid extra money so that we could go backstage and meet him because he was like the only celebrity who had a big influence in my formative years that i'd never met so i uh we went backstage and I had the chance to chat with him a little bit face to face in a private room and tell him how I, I wrote and produced music professionally, thousands of songs and dozens of records and jingles. And it was all because of him. And, and we had a really great conversation. And then when we left, they gave us a gift bag. And in the gift bag was, uh, was that silver, uh, that it was actually platinum. It was for a million copies sold of his song, Mandy. Uh, that he that he sold a million copies back when it did, and so that's the first one. But the other one is even more important. The big one. Okay, <laughs> don't get scared. Okay. By the time I was 19, I had written 10 or 12 songs. Mm -hmm. I wanted to record them. Well, you guys, this was long before there was a Pro Tools or long before there was any kind of recording software on a computer. In fact, this was long before personal computers. We're talking 1982, 81. I'd written 10 or 12 songs and I wanted to record them. And my uncle lived out in Denver, Colorado, and he he was the music minister at a church out there. And he said, hey, Vic, there's a guy in my church who has an actual 24-track studio in his home, and he'll let you record there for like 20 bucks an hour. Well, Every recording studio near me was like 60 or 70 or 80 bucks. So I thought, well, I could fly out to Denver and, and still save my 20 mm -hmm. bucks an hour. So I went out there and I hired a bass player and a, and a drummer. And I played the keyboards and I sang the vocals and I recorded 
10 songs that I wrote. I brought them home on a quarter inch reel of magnetic tape, quarter inch tape. Now, re remember you guys, this is before there was any <laughs> internet. Right. I don't even know how I found out about this, but there was a company that made records. You send them the, the tape master, the quarter inch master, and they make an actual LP. And at that time, you can imagine at 19 years old, you're like, oh my God, how cool would it be to have my own LP? So I sent them the quarter inch master and they sent back one LP and I found it in a box a couple of months ago. That's cool. And I got it framed and that is the one LP <laughs> of my of my songs from 1980. And it's hanging up next to Mar Manilow. That's right, Barry and me. <laughs> neighbors so you got a blue spirit mask up there too so i assume you're a fan of avatar yes my girlfriend is a big fan of avatar and when she came in here and saw the blue walls she's like oh that reminds me of of this mask i have and she got me to, and then she got me to start watching avatar i made her watch star trek oh that's only she fair made me watch yeah that seems like fair right equivalent exchange exactly I'm oh, all no. about equivalent exchange <laughs> and uh and so i watched all of avatar loved it and uh, and and she let me uh, hang. I'm, I made that frame for it as well, and we hung hung it up in the. Vic, you've been around for a while. You said yourself, uh, you've kind of seen the rise of the convention. Um, would you say that the conventions have given the individual voice actor a little bit more power in the in the business? To I wouldn't say power. That's I wouldn't. I would never use that word. I think it's so funny when people somehow erroneously think you know that. Unless you're, you know, unless you're a major, major, major voice actor with some major, major credits to your name, um, you don't have any power. At the end of the day, you're an actor auditioning with a hundred other actors for a role. Now, having said that, social media obviously has given people, has given a lot of uh, companies now, dubbing companies, will look to cast somebody or maybe bring maybe throw somebody a cameo who's a big youtuber mm -hmm. whether or not they're a voice actor is secondary um if they're a youtuber then they'll promote your show right, and right. you know if you or if you can bring in somebody that's got hundreds of twitter hundreds of thousands of twitter followers or something uh they're gonna you know they're going to tell everybody about being in your show and then people will watch so i i wouldn't call that power as much as social media and conventions possibly have given some actors a little more allows them to bring a little bit more to the table right so if you're good at what you do first and foremost if you're good at what you do and you're fast and efficient and you know easy go versatile and you happen to have a huge fan base i mean that seems like a pretty obvious good choice you know what i mean right you can't go wrong there like these guys that I'm doing these audiobooks for, they were fans of my work. So, and, and they know that I'm going to talk about their books and I'm going to promote them because I'm proud of the work. And uh, so, you know, that, that worked out that I was, a, I'm able to bring that to the table as well for these authors. Exactly. We've had quite a few voice actors on um, Cal Haber recently. He yeah. spoke up, he spoke about learning how learning to dub in itself is almost a musical type skill. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you have issues learning to dub at first? Was well, it something you know what? I, honestly, I didn't, Justin. And I'll tell you why. Because I'd spent 20 years in music yep. before I ever tried voice acting. 
And most of the voice actors that I know, a large majority of them, have a background in ah, And I'm helps. sure Kyle probably told you this. If he didn't, um, I'm sure he would agree and the others would agree. There is a musicality to it. It's not sing-songy, you know, it's not singing, but there is a rhythm to it. There's a yes. tempo to it. That's There's the way he described it was very rhythmic. Timing, yeah. And timing. Yeah. And if you're good at locking into things like that, if you can watch something and see the rhythm of it, then you'll you'll tend to be a little more natural breaking into voice act. You'll get you'll get better at it quicker. What would you say is, has been your most difficult scene to, to dub to date? Hmm. Most difficult scene to dub. Well, I, I don't know that there's any one scene, um, but everybody knows, famously knows that Broly was really hard physically on my on my on my throat. Right. It was just very taxing to yell and scream like that, just nonstop. Um, obviously, you know, it wasn't that there were a lot of deep emotional, you know, uh, heartfelt scenes <laughs> to record as Broly. Right. There were plenty of those as Edward or mm. other characters that I've played. But I I love those kinds. I look so forward to the scenes where there's a lot of emotion and a lot of pathos. I love those scenes. Um, but the, the most difficult scenes for me have been the ones that are vocally taxing. Right. Um, because if you scream your lungs out, but you didn't hold the scream just barely not long enough, guess what? You have to do it again. And if you did it too long, you have to do it again. And if you were screaming a line of dialogue and you didn't pause in the right place or you didn't match the flaps just right, you guessed it. You have to do it again. So um, those have been the most, you know, the most challenging. I'm just imagining you in a booth screaming Kakarot for two hours. Is that, oh, a, yes. is that safe? You don't have to imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. And you know what? I want to say um, I loved the new Broly movie. Mm -hmm. I really loved that they gave Broly more of a backstory and more substance. You you felt like you understood who he was and why he was better. And I really loved that. Yes. Even though he only had like 25 lines of dialogue. <laughs> but hey, that's like 24 more than he did. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily matter. People love Boba Fett. He had like three lines of dialogue. Exactly, so as long as your right? character is impactful, they're going to remember it no matter what. Right, right. Vic, did you discover at a at a young age that you had a knack for making voices? Were you just running around the house making weird sounds? No, and you know what, Justin? I, I appreciate you saying that because I think any voice actor will tell you what I'm about to tell you. Voice acting is not about making funny. It's not about, it's about 10% voice and 90% acting. I, uh, I used to imitate characters when I was little, but none of those ever got me a voice acting. Right. What I think got me a voice acting job and what I'd like to think continued to get me many of the 300 plus series and video games that I've done was the acting, was the fact that by the time I auditioned for my first voice acting role, it was, oh my gosh, uh, like I had, I had been acting on stage, in theatrical productions, some on camera work since I was 12 years old. So for me, when somebody gave me a chance to voice act, to me, it was just another chance to act. It was just acting, only with a different set of skills. So um, 
No, I I didn't run around making funny voices very much. <laughs> I did try to imitate characters, you know, just like we all do. Yeah. I tried to imitate Scooby Doo and Shaggy and Bugs Bunny and Marvin the Martian and Yoda and you know, <laughs> on and on. Uh, but I think the thing that benefits most voice actors the most the acting background. Are you a fan of any of the shows that you work on? Casually, do you do you watch Dragon Ball Z? No. Okay. Uh, no, no, not no, not Dragon Ball. Because only because it's just huge and long and exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I'm very proud of the work that I did on Dragon Ball, but I I have not watched. I have I don't watch watch it casually. Now I will tell you that there are a handful of shows that I was in that I really was interested in the show itself from recording it. Like when I started recording Full Metal Alchemist, dang, this is really a cool show, mm. and I want to know what's going on in this show. I mean, beyond my character, exactly. I want to know what's going on. So I would watch Full Metal Alchemist every, when was it? Was it Saturday night or Friday night on Cartoon Network? I, I got into it. I saw it on night. Netflix. I think it was Saturday. So Saturday every night. every Saturday night when a new episode was released, I would I would watch it because I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to hear everybody else's performances. Right. Because when you're recording, you don't necessarily get to hear what other people did. Right. You may if they recorded before you, but um, but like if you're the first one to record, nobody else's voices are there yet. So uh, um, I always I would tune into that one or on High School Host Club. I loved so much um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I really enjoyed uh, that character, Rohan. Um, early on, shows like uh, Full Metal Panic, um, Dean Angel, Princess Nine, Generator Gall. There were a handful that I made sure to watch because I, I really enjoyed the show. That's good to hear. So let me ask you then, who wins in a fight, Broly or Ed? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, let me say that if they actually did fight, I feel like Ed would win because Broly's very strong, but he doesn't have like any magic powers. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he can't like do completely unnatural, magical, right. alchemic thing. Um, but having said that, I think Ed would be terrified of Broly. <laughs> yeah. He would run screaming, you know. As most of us would. Well, like, what are you doing? Leave me alone. I didn't do anything to you. Let's be friends. <laughs> Another funny thing is I noticed that uh, your speaking voice is very close to Ed's voice itself. It is, especially when I get when I get excited. Mm -hmm. um, my, my own voice is a little lower. Um, Ed's is a little higher. It's a little higher and it's a little raspier too. So, you know, you put a little bit of that rasp. In. <laughs> uh, I, I love when uh, it always throws me off my game whenever I have a voice actor on and they just, they throw out one of those voices. I got to recap the character. Really <laughs> 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 so, I hate, I've always, I've always hated doing voices in front of audiences and stuff because I feel like it ruins the magic. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like it's see, one thing see to see it coming out of the little pipsqueak, and it's another thing to see it coming out of this old guy on screen. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's not the same. It loses something. Right. So to date, what would you consider to be the most valuable acting advice that you've received? What a great question. You know, probably the same advice that I give people that write me and ask me. Uh, hundreds of fans have written me over the years and said, you know, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to audition for something and it doesn't even have to be voice acting. Mm -hmm. It might be a school play. It might be a community play. It might be a church production. 
and they'll write me and say, you know, can you give me any suggestions or any advice? And what I always tell them is leave it all on the floor, man. Like give it, every, give it everything you have. Because number one, you don't want to leave an audition feeling like you could have given more. And number two, any director will tell you it's a lot easier to dial an actor back than it is to push him further than he wants to, than he's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if I, uh, you know, if somebody, if I, if I was doing a, a line where somebody is like sobbing through a line of dialogue, right? If I, as an actor go, why would you do that? And the director goes, I need, give me more. Why would you do that? I need more. Why would you do, as opposed to, why would you do that? There you go. Much easier to go, okay, bring it back a little bit. Yeah. Why would you do that? You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, much exactly. easier for a director to, to pull an actor back. So it's always best to give it everything you've got. That way, the director knows what he's got to work with. It's much easier to dial it back. And you don't walk away regretting that you might have given more. I'd say that's great advice to follow in life in general. Just go for broke. You're exactly right. Because you know what? If you won't go for broke, the person waiting to audition after you probably will. Oh, yes. So it's it's always good to give it your best. So you said yourself, uh, there's a anime is notorious for episodes. Uh, how much, How what's your average re recording session like? How many episodes are you cranking out? Well, that all depends on how many lines of dialogue your character says, right? Um, if I play a character like uh, Broly, well, Broly's not in every scene, even in the movie. Um, he's not in every scene. So you jump around and you record where he is. Um, something like Full Metal, Ed was in a lot of episodes, obviously, but there were several where, you know, you're following a storyline back at Central with mm -hmm. Colonel Mustang, or you're uh, out on the, out on the, in the desert with Scar and, and the Ishbalans. Ed's not there. So it really depends on how many lines you have in an episode. If, if my character only has 10 lines in episode nine, then we'll knock that out in 15 minutes. And then we'll go on to episode 10. I have 40 lines in episode 10. So that'll take us roughly, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And then maybe we'll go on to episode 11. It depends on how many hours you're booked for, which is based on how many lines you have. And okay. the people at the studios that schedule voice act, schedule them based on how many lines they have and how many lines that actor can record in and out. If voice acting is difficult for somebody, and if they have a problem, if, they, if, they, if, they're, if they're not as quick locking into a line of dialogue and making it match and capturing the emotional uh, essence of it, if they're not as good as that at, some, as, at that as somebody else is, well, then they may be able to do 35 or 40 lines an hour, whereas somebody who's better at it can do 55 or 60 lines. Okay. And those people obviously are more, are, are, or are valued because at the end of the day, time is money. Studio efficient worker. Exactly. Studio, everything is hourly rates. And how much is it going to cost us to dub this show? How much is it going to cost us in terms of actors, engineers, studio time, uh, script writing, adaptation, all that. How right. much is how much is it going to cost us? And the people that can do it faster. We'll be able to save you money. Makes sense. So you work with your voice a lot. Do you take any extra measures to protect the money maker? Do you drink any teas or warm ups or I will like? I will tell you that I'm <laughs> <laughs> you fit in well. Me here, too. Man. I uh I uh I do not not like I should. 
um, I used to be able to sing a lot higher than I can. And I think that is unfortunately a direct result of all the screaming and yelling. It's Broly's fault. Among others. <laughs> um, but I, it's funny because I've often heard voice actors say, oh, well, there's a way you can yell and it doesn't hurt your voice. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Good for you. God bless you. Um, because I haven't found it. And I've often found that people who pretend to yell, they don't really sound as authentic as people that are actually letting it rip, you know? Right. Um, So I, I've, you know, I've left a lot of, I've left a lot uh, on the, on the ground of, of recording sessions at studios all over the country over the years. (laughs) And I'd come out and I, you know, my voice would be shot for a week or two, you know, but I gave everything I had. That's all that matters. And, uh, so, yeah, um, I don't, I mean, I don't, you know, apart from drinking a lot of water, uh, coffee is a diuretic. It, it, it dries you up. It actually doesn't, doesn't lubricate. So don't make yourself a cup of hot coffee and take it into the studio in the morning because it's going to warm up your voice. Well, it, it may, but it'll also dry your voice out. Um, then you're going to have to go to the bathroom. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd like to ask every guest this, but I think you've already answered it. Uh, if you could choose any role in film or television history, what is your dream role? But you've already played Captain Kirk. You know what? I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I think I'm probably, I mean. Yeah, I've never had a guest that could say that they've actually done it. So My life is over. Yeah. It's all, downhill from, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the work that I did on Full Metal. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the of of all the work that I um because I I care about it, you know? I care a lot about it. Even if I were I mean, even if I were uh there've been thousands of little characters that I've played that didn't even have a name. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just bystander B, you know what I mean? Or guy at restaurant or bicyclist number 2. You know what I mean? They and and but they had just a couple of lines, but even those I I would try to to give it my best right. and not, not dial it in. And I, I will tell you this, and I'm not making this up. I'm not tooting my own horn. I promise you. I'm relaying to you what fans have told me. Fans have told me dozens and dozens of times. Do you remember the character you played in such and such? And I'll be like, no. <laughs> Sorry. I don't remember. Well, tell me about it. The character's name was such and such, and you were doing this and that. And I'm like, uh, okay, uh, I'm I'm glad you remember it. I mean, to be fair, on your IM on your IMDb, you've got 408 acting credits. So I assume after a while, it's like, yeah, this is getting hard to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. But here's the part that I here's what I was getting at with that with telling you that story. These fans would say, "Do you remember the character you played in such and such?" And I'd be like, "I'm afraid I don't." And they would go on to say this: "Oh my gosh, he was my favorite character in that whole episode. Even though you were only in one episode." Um, it was my favorite character because you put so much energy and so much, you know, so much into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen voice actors. I don't want to, I don't want to diss anybody, but the truth is the truth. And I'm not going to name any names, but I've seen voice actors who sit back in a chair and read a magazine while they're recording. Wow. And, you know, they're sitting there with a mic right in front of them and they're reading a magazine and they'll hear, boop, 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 and then I'll do my line. Wow. I don't even sit down. There's a, a there's a stool in in mm-hmm. the in the uh, in the theaters. Excuse me, in the studios. There's a stool for people to sit at. I never sit down. 
very, very rarely um, because I want to I want to be engaged and I want to give it my best. Uh, I will tell you another funny quick story. I uh, I heard through the grapevine once that some directors were saying that I was difficult to work with, and I thought to myself. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't argue with directors. I'm always on time. I almost always finish early. And and I've had great relationships with tons of directors with directors. I don't fight with them about what they want. You know what I mean? I, right. Why would they say that? So I literally went into a director once and I said, can you please tell me why would someone say I'm difficult to work with? You know what she told me? What's that? She said, well, Vic. The word on the street is that even after you do the line to the director's satisfaction, you want to do it again. So you'll do a line of dialogue, and the director will be like, okay, yeah, match the flaps. It, it, it got the uh, emotion that I was looking for. Let's move on. And occasionally, I would, I would immediately have another read in my mind, another version of the line right. that I think would be better. Now, what kind of a jerk would I be not to offer that to the director? I don't think it's your problem that you're going above and beyond. I think yeah, you know, exactly. you know, <laughs> exactly. you, you could do it a little bit better than beforehand. Why would exactly. you not say, Hey, let me give this another go. Exactly. Mitch. And you know what else? I don't make the decision. If I say to the director, quote, can I give you one more? Can I try one more? I've got something different. I want to try. If the director says, no, we're moving on. Guess what guys? No, we're moving, we're on. moving on. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any power. Listen, you're going to let me do this line again. <laughs> that never happens. Never in the history history of the thousands and thousands of recording sessions that I've done. Have I done a line of dialogue? Uh, I'll give you an example. It's all my fault, Al. And the director's like, okay, that's great. Let's move on. Hey, um, I've got an idea. Can I try one more? And the director will go, sure. And I'll go, and I'll make it a little more, you know, a little more right. moving, emotional. Uh, uh, emotional. And I'll tell you something else. Eight times out of ten, the director would be like, yeah, that was better. But somehow, along the way, people love to talk. People <laughs> love to talk behind other people's backs. People love to weave stories. And this, this person that I asked about this literally told me that one of the director's complaints about me was that I, even after I did it once and did it right, and the director was ready to move on, I, I, I asked if I could do, do the line again. See, now, in my mind... That's called a commitment to quality. Yeah, you're eager to do your job. And to do it as best you can. In fact, I might have thought of a read that the director didn't even think of. Right. And he might not have thought of it, and he thought that the one I, first one I did was fine, and then I did the second one, he was like, oh, damn, that's awesome. That's good. Mm -hmm. I've had that experience with lots of directors, and it's unfortunate, you know, that there are some of them out there who, you know, who are like. I'm not asking you to name names, but did you ever find out who it was? No. Okay. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter um, because I know what goes on in the recording sessions that I go mm -hmm. to. Right. Anyone who ever tells anybody, anyone who ever claims that I am difficult to work with is a liar. And I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but that's just, let's just call it like we see it. Okay. Boom. You don't, you don't get cast in 400 shows because you're if difficult. You're, yeah, to work. exactly. You don't get cast repeatedly by the same directors because you're difficult to work with. Right. You do, you get cast again because you're fast and you're versatile. And for the most part, you're easy to work with and you, you get things done quickly and you're dependable. And right. 
I I have loved my work so much. I I I was I I went to to bed every night considering it such an enormous blessing to get to do what I literally stumbled into 20 years ago, 20 some years ago. And I don't take it for granted. I don't think light of it. I don't dial it in. I I give it my best and and I give the best to anyone I work with. That comes through on your characters, you know. I, I hope so. I hope so. I got to ask nice about to one see. of Go ahead, Mitch. I didn't mean to. I was just going to say it's always nice to see someone with commitment like that because you can definitely tell, especially and more so in voice acting, that it really, really comes through when you're actually committed and care about it and you put your all into it. It, it shows. I appreciate you saying that. I, that is something I've tried to do my my for the, the vast majority of my career to the best of my ability. I got to ask you about one of these credits because it's uh, Gotcha Mon 1972. <laughs> were, were you doing voice acting at 10 years old dude? no 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 that was a re that was a dub uh, gotcha mon became what was the other name of it was it what was it um it was dubbed adv dubbed it and it wasn't called gotcha mon. Uh, i can't remember what it was but it, yeah it wasn't the original gotcha mon. it was a redub of it that okay. if somebody put that date up there, that's just a mistake. <laughs> okay. I was like, man, you really have been in it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you look great for a 70 year old. <laughs> All right, Vic, before we cut you loose here, uh, what are some of your favorite films? Oh, well, I'm a big fan of the original star Wars trilogy, mostly, you know, because of when I discovered it. I mean, I, I was 16 when star Wars came out. You know, and it was 15, and it was the coolest thing ever, uh, next to Star Trek, of course. Um, I love, I love so many movies that I, I tend to break them up into genres. Like, what's your favorite comedy movie, or your favorite sci-fi film, or your favorite drama, or whatever. Um, I really loved the movie Contact with Jodie Foster. Um, it's an older film now, but I love that. Um, loved Galaxy Quest. Uh. Um classic um about a couple of years ago i fell in love with a, a little weird little movie that i found on an airplane i was flying on an american flight and they have you know the entertainment system and i was looking for something to you know looking for something to watch and i'm scrolling past all these movies and i see this one called brigsby bear and i'm like what what is brigsby bear is it a documentary about a bear so i started watching it and it was the most wonderful film I've seen in a very long. I highly recommend it. Look it up. It's really wonderful. Okay. Briggsby, what was the name one more time? Brigsby Bear. B-R-I-G-S-B-Y. Brigsby Bear. I got it typed down here. Um, I've been. T I tell people about it all the time, and everybody comes back and like, oh my gosh, I love that. It's one of those films that probably didn't cost a lot of money to make. It was just a great story told well. Um, love good dramas. Love sci-fi, of course. Uh, love the Lord of the Rings trilogies. Yeah. Um, I love a lot of movies. Right now, and let's go to television. <laughs> right now, I know I'm I know I'm coming really late to this party, but right now I'm watching 24. I've never watched 24. Oh ever. my gosh, bro! Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I I did not watch it when it came out, and everybody, you know, everybody yeah, like yeah. it. It's the thing. You got to see it, and uh, and I never did. And my girlfriend's a big 24 fan as well. And so she's like, Did you have you seen 24? And I was like, No, I haven't. And she like freaked out. 
What? <laughs> and so she got me watching it. And now every I mean, I'm already on 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 season six. And of course, there are 24 episodes, right, in each season. Right. I'm on season six. And after every episode, I'll turn to her and go, I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like you can't stop watching. Right. Um, but I'm really enjoying that. Now, didn't it, it uh, came out originally, then it went away, then it came back again, right? 24? I think so. Yeah, I think that's what I think so. I believe it. All right, so what are your favorite movie snacks? What are you snacking on while you're watching all those movies? Ooh, okay, now I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. <laughs> Next time you go to a movie theater, assuming they aren't all just by this garbage going through, once the movie theaters open back up, go see a movie, you can buy your popcorn, right? Now here's where it gets interesting. Ask the attendant behind the concession stand to give you a courtesy cup, which is a little paper cup they'll let you get water in or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Go to the condiments table and fill it with jalapeno pepper, slices of jalapeno. Really? And you go into your movie, you take a handful of popcorn and throw it in and a slice of jalapeno and throw it in and chew it all up. Dang, it's good. That's the most manly snack I've ever heard. I'm telling you, though, everybody I tell about that, they're like, I do that every time I go to the movies now. It's really, really good. I love spicy stuff. Like, it doesn't, with the exception of my friend Jeff, I don't know anybody that loves spicier, hotter, like ghost pepper, scorpion, Carolina Reaper stuff like I do. Oh, man. Yeah. And I Jeff like puts me to shame. Not, I love Yeah, spice. I'm not trying to hurt myself like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Vic, before we let you get out of here, I'm not going to ask you to give us a Broly clip because I don't want you to blow thank your you. voice up. But I, would, I, I would graciously decline. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can give us a little plug for Ed, you know, this is Edward Elric, the Full Metal Alchemist, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic, if you don't mind. Okay, Monsters. Madness and Magic. Monsters, Madness, and Magic. All right, we'll, we'll shut up and mute ourselves so you can do your thing. And there we go. Perfect. All right. Now we can listen to that all night and die happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Vic. We're going to cut you loose. We are keeping you over the hour here. So nah, we're right on time, man. Thank you so much, you guys. Enjoyed Not a problem. You. Thank you. We enjoyed it as well. It was great. And, uh, hey, hey, listen. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. If uh, if uh, events start opening back up again, and I, I don't know where you guys are located, but if I end up being invited to an event anywhere near you i hope you come and say hello oh we definitely, we definitely will. will and 